We've made it to Labor Day weekend, which in a lot of the country, you know, this is the end of summer. Uh, in many parts of the country, this is like, it's it's over. You know, the whole thing, can't wear white after Labor Day. and um, They've changed it now. I don't know if you know that or not. The, the, new, the new advice, the experts say, you can't be white after Labor Day. So, yeah, it's different now. But anyway, where we live, of course, we've got at least another couple of months of summer. So we're not... Really not a big deal here going into this weekend, but uh, very excited about the dish coming up in our 6 o'clock hour. Looking forward to hearing restaurant stories. I hope we get a lot of calls on that. And, uh, of course, you can join the show anytime at 210-599-5555. So let me, let me give you a couple of items here, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Um, Fulton County, Georgia, Judge Scott McAfee says all court proceedings relating to former President Donald Trump's election interference case will be streamed live and televised. Cameras and recording equipment are almost never allowed in federal court, but the court in Fulton County regularly broadcasts judicial proceedings on its YouTube channel and expects to do so when Trump and 17 others go on trial. Uh, The uh, chief judge of the court said, if the public is to fully accept the outcome, it'll be vitally important for it to witness as directly as possible how the trials are conducted Strength of the evidence adduced, credibility of witnesses, says Judge McAfee. Uh, our friend um, Bill Jacobson, William Jacobson, uh, LegalInsurrection.com, says not so fast. Uh, several of the defendants are trying to get their cases moved to federal court. So this may or may not happen in Fulton County, and it will only be televised if it happens in Fulton County. Item one. Item two, the Secretary of State for Arizona Democrat Adrian Fuentes says he does not have the authority to bar Donald Trump from the ballot in his state. You've heard the argument, we've talked about it on the show, that there's language in the 14th Amendment where it says if you've engaged in insurrection, you can't hold office. Fonts says, despite those claims, he specifically has no statutory process in Arizona law to do it. That's what the Arizona Supreme Court said, so that's the state of the law in Arizona. Do I agree with that? No, that's stupid, the secretary said. But despite his dislike of the Arizona Supreme Court, he will follow Arizona law. So item two is they're trying to keep Trump off the ballots in some of the states. There's several states right now where they're attempting to say, you Republicans can do whatever you want, but he cannot be on the general election ballot in November of 2024. Tucker Carlson, who has his own Twitter cast, Xcast, uh, was on um, a couple of other people's shows recently on uh, Dave Portnoy's uh, Barstool Sports uh, show. He said that um, they were talking about how old Biden and McConnell are, and Trump is up there too, and Tucker Carlson agreed with Dave Portnoy that both Trump and Biden are too old to be president. I don't think you should be able to be that old to be president, said Portnoy. I agree 100%. Carson nodded emphatically. That got a lot of attention. Tucker Carlson thinks Donald Trump is too old. But he actually said something else that I thought was even more interesting than that. He was on Adam Carolla's podcast, and um, which is really good, by the way, if you haven't had a chance to ever check that out. Uh, He does a really good show. Um, And he was talking about Tucker was talking about, you know, they've they impeached him twice. 
They indicted him three or four times. Every time his uh, popularity goes up. He said, um, if you begin with criticism, then you go to protests, then you go to impeachment, then you go to indictment, and none of them work, what's next? Cut number eight. Listen to this. What's next? I mean, you know, graph it out, man. We're speeding toward assassination, obviously. And no one will say that, but I don't I don't know how you can reach that conclusion. You know what I mean? Like they have decided permanent Washington. Both parties have decided that there's something about Trump that's that's so threatening to them. They just can't have him. I mean, they're putting him on trial in March of next year in the J6 case. Okay, so um, that is a plausible theory. Um, Tucker Carlson says he thinks they would, they, the, the, whoever they are, they would stop at nothing to, uh, prevent Trump from being president. So here is my question with those items in front of you, televising of the trial, trying to take him off the ballot. Uh, Tucker Carlson says, I'm worried that, uh, what's next you can talk about who you're going to vote for. And we do that. People do that. Callers to the show do it. You talk about politics with people you know. But here's my question. And this is the question we have to ask. And this is not a, this is probably not a happy question on the Friday before a, a, a Labor Day weekend. But I, I think it's time to ask this question. Are they going to let him be president? I mean, it, it, can Donald Trump actually be permitted to be president? Now I'll get to they in a minute, but just hear me out. I mean, you can you can think what you think, you can believe what you believe, you can argue, you can try to persuade your friends, you can put a sign in your front yard, you can donate money, you can vote early. Based on what you've seen, are they going to let him become president? Doesn't it look like th- that option has been closed off? I mean, they're trying to put him in prison. They might do it. They're trying to say, well, if we don't get him in prison, he's ineligible under the 14th Amendment. And then they're also trying through various means to sort of dirty him up and create the idea that if you're a good, decent, self-respecting person, you're not going to want to you're you're not going to want it to be known, you're not going to want to associate with this this felonious, crooked, conniving, possibly treacherous uh, guy. That's what they're trying to do. Will they let him be president? I mean, if if we elect him, is that they're gonna they're gonna let this go through? Now, who are they? I've been thinking about this a lot too because it, it's easy to say, "Well, it's the Democrats, it's the left." It's, you know, I, it could be, it could be. Just hear me out for a second. Who would you think is really most threatened by Donald Trump? Who's really most threatened by Donald Trump? Don't say Joe Biden. That's not that's not the right answer. And it's not even, you know, like the squad or the far left or the DNC or Gavin Newsom or It seems to me from what we've seen over the last several years and from the previous attempts to interfere with Trump's election the first time, it seems to me that the intelligence community 
is who's most threatened by Donald Trump. They're not threatened by how conservative he is or he isn't. They're not threatened by his tweets or Truth Social. They're not, they're not threatened by his rallies. They're not threatened by stuff he says. They're not threatened by the fact that you like him or admire him. They're threatened by the fact that the first time he was president, he was, was crosswise with his own FBI and intelligence community in a way that very few presidents have been. All presidents have been to some degree, but to a much greater degree with Trump than most American presidents, let's say since World War II. So the modern intelligence community consists of the FBI, which was founded before World War II, but really became the version of what it is today after World War II and the post-war era. The CIA was created out of the OSS in World War II, so that's a post-war thing. Then we have all, the, all these other alphabet agencies that came along because of the Cold War. All of them uh, built and uh, you know created to be um, anti-Soviet, anti-communist uh, things. But since that mission went away, they've morphed into these other things, and then 9-11 enlivened them. I think that's the community of people that are most threatened by Donald Trump. And, you know, you, you think about JFK, you think about the joke that Schumer told that time about how you can't cross the CIA or they have seven ways to get rid of you. I, to me, that's what we're looking at here. He's not ever supposed to be president again because he could wreck them. He could expose things. He could dismantle things. They they don't want to face that possibility. They've had a taste of it once before. I, I think they're not going to let him do it. I hope Tucker is wrong, but I think what Tucker is saying is plausible. It's not it's not as crazy it would as it would have sounded if you said it about you know some of our recent presidents. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I want to talk about that. Uh, the governor of Virginia, Glenn, Glenn uh, Youngkin said something interesting uh, on an interview with uh, Maria Bartiromo on, Fe on uh, Fox Business Network. They're having an election um, in Virginia. It's an off-year state like Kentucky, so this is election year in Virginia. And he's term-limited. He's not running. But he, um, he was talking about how important it is for Republicans to get out the vote in Virginia, and he said, um, we need to take advantage of early voting. Um, we all want to make sure that your vote counts and people need to vote early. We've got to make sure every vote counts. I'm tired of watching elections where we as Republicans are down to thousands, are down thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of votes on election day. We can do this better. We got to get Republicans off the sideline and make sure that everybody se secures their votes. And I like that he's talking about that. And I like Glenn Youngkin. I actually think Glenn Youngkin is starting to sound like a potential presidential candidate. But I don't really know what he means by we got to get Republicans to early vote. Because it's the same number of votes whether you cast them early or on Election Day. See, I would rather hear somebody talk about uh, getting into the, the reservoir of votes that only the Democrats are tapping into right now. The Republicans don't have any 
any plumbing into that reservoir. They don't, they don't have any plan for homeless people voting and uh, people in nursing homes voting and college kids in dormitories voting. And the Democrats go and they gather up bushel baskets full of these votes, and the Republicans complain about it, and I understand why. But maybe until you guys get your act together and challenge these rules, you need to play that game. And that's what I would like to hear somebody like Glenn Youngkin and others talk about. I mean, far be it for me to tell the Republican Party what to do, but that's what they need to do, I think. Did you hear what Ron DeSantis said about the looting after the hurricane in Florida? He was, uh, in one of his briefings, he was talking about how he's told all of the state personnel to protect people's property, that a very high priority is to protect property where people have left, the storm has passed, but people haven't gotten back to their uh, homes yet, and um, they're they're concerned about looting. This is always a thing, right? People start to worry, uh, I'm not there, I don't know what's happening. There have been a lot of reports of looting in certain parts of Florida. And he said this, you never know what's behind that door if you break into somebody's house and you're trying to loot. These are people that are going to be able to defend themselves and their families. I would not do it if I were you. We're going to hold you accountable from the law enforcement perspective at a minimum, and it could be even worse depending upon what's behind that door. DeSantis says, you loot, we shoot. By the way, how do you like um, how do you like the way he's handling that hurricane? I, I've watched this more closely than I would have otherwise, because obviously he's running for president. He is exceptionally good at this disaster stuff. Um, I know that he made his name, he made his mark with the culture war stuff that he did, but he is very solid in um, responding to hurricanes. He can sort of talk about the wonky details. He seems to know them. Sometimes you'll see a politician kind of reading it off a sheet. He seems to seems to be going off of what he knows. He seems to retain a lot of information. Uh, they seem to have thought of a lot of things. I like what he said about looting, but um, I, I just... I understand that we have the culture war and these these battles over what we teach in schools and so forth. Those are important. Um, and it's hard to tell sometimes what kind of a president he, a person would be on those issues. But when you look at what he's doing right now with the aftermath of the hurricane, I don't know if there's a, a better governor in this country at handling these kinds of things. And, of course, the governor of Florida gets a lot of uh, practice. Um, I, I think at the bare minimum, even if you're not a DeSantis supporter, I think you have to say this. Um, you can be for Trump or you can be for Joe Biden or you can be for somebody else, but um, the knock on this guy that he's not charismatic or he doesn't do good in debates, he is a very capable leader. And I think about how level and solid he's being in this hurricane. And I think about when COVID arrived. And I know this is stretching the analogy a little bit, but COVID was like a hurricane in the sense that all of a sudden there were all these 
impulses to do things and curb things and ban things and mandate things, and there were all these impulses to throw money around and uh, assert authority. And I think you can find some good in what Trump did, and I think you can find some fault in what Trump did. But if you want to look at a guy that seems like he would be very solid in that sort of everything's coming at me at once, but I know my priorities and I know how to you know stay focused, DeSantis is looking like that guy in terms of the hurricane. And I don't think it's just hurricanes that, that, that sort of um, require and um, employ that kind of leadership skill. So I wanted to ask you about that, too. And we're going to open up the phone lines, 210-599-5555. Look, um, putting it on trial is part of a strategy to divide and inflame people. Uh, and, 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 and frankly, I, I mean, I, I, I think they've pretty much already done that, but televising it will make it just even more, you know, extra. It's like plussing it up, you know, um, 10% more crazy and divisive. So, no, I don't, I don't believe that it, it will reassure people or it'll be good for, like, the process or people, will, people who think now that it's not legitimate will see that it is. I, I don't think that's true. I, I also think when you look at past high-profile um, criminal cases that were televised and for which there was a large television audience, it's, it's, it would be nice if the people in the courtroom just didn't even know. Sorry, I'm moving stuff around here. I'm sorry for this, the noise. Um, it'd be great if the people in the courtroom were like on television and didn't even know it, like the Truman Show, but they do know it. And the more attention a trial gets in the media, the more the people in the courtroom play to that. So it, it will make what is already um, a very contrived case with a very demonstrative defendant, just more of, of, of all of that. But tell me what you think, 210-599-5555. Televising the trial, trying to keep him off the ballot, um, twice impeached, four times indicted, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, do you just get the feeling that, that he cannot be allowed to take office in January of 2025? That just, that, that is just not going to be allowed. I'm not telling you to not vote for him or support him. In fact, I would love to hear the pushback on why that's not true and he will be allowed to take office. But given the efforts, that are being amassed against him. Do you still believe that if he threads the needle through all these charges, all these court cases, and somehow gets so many votes that it overwhelms what we know will be rigging and probably some COVID, so he wins the thing despite all those things, are they going to let him? Be president again? Jim is on KTSA as we talk about this. Jim, good afternoon. Hi, Jack. Well, there's nothing in the Constitution that could prevent him from assuming office and being duly elected. Even if he was convicted, even if he was sitting in prison, if I'm correct, um, there have been other candidates who have been convicted of felonies. I, I think Lin Lyndon LaRouche was one of them way back in the early 80s, 90s, I can't remember when he did, but he was convicted of, of, uh, of crimes. But he wasn't and elected. So, 
if he is duly, if he is duly elected, but he wasn't elected. But wait, hold on, Jim. Lyndon Larouche never came close to being elected to anything. But but he could run. He ran for office. So, but that's not my, my question. Being, I know he can run for president. Do you think they right. will let him be president? Well, if they follow the Constitution, there's nothing. Oh, and, that, wh- and, and, he and is what, what gives elected? you that idea? Wait a minute, wait a minute, Jim. I love you, but where are you getting this? If they follow the Constitution. When are they going to start doing that? Well, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, but all I'm saying is if they follow the Constitution, he gets the, elect, the, the electoral votes and, and as everything else is. And he, as, as you said, he threads the needle. He should legally be able to assume the presidency. Yeah. If yeah. They okay, I see what him, you're doing. I, I understand what you're saying. So you're, you're answering this in the legal sense. Um, yes. legally he, he can be president. And I, and I appreciate that, Jim. That really wasn't, that really wasn't my question. Uh, I understand that. We understand that he can legally be president. Um, I, I thought I was pretty clear about this, but let me be more blunt. I think they would kill him or otherwise put things in his way if it looked like he was going to win the election. That's what, that's what Tucker Carlson is raising the possibility of. I think that is plausible. I'm not, I'm not here to predict it's happening or going to happen. I'm just saying when you look at the amount of effort and resources that are being mustered, these are not people that will just say, oh, well, he got the votes, so all right, four more years, you know. It, 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 isn't, it isn't like um, the politics we learned about in school where you give a concession speech and you wish, wish the other guy well and we're all going to work together for the best of the country. I mean, listen to the way they talk about him. Listen to the way they, they've set this up. It's unthinkable. He must never get anywhere near the presidency. They're defining him not as an opponent but as an enemy. And the people doing this are people that have been known to take out their enemies. That's all I'm saying. I'm not predicting that will happen. I'm saying I think that's plausible. And, and so my question is, how confident are you that they will let him back into the Oval Office. I know they're letting him run. And no offense to Jim, but we're, we're past that. We, he is running. We know he can run. But but can he be elected? Will they let him get there, get to the inauguration, get to the moment? Because there's so many more things they can do. There's so many more allegations. There's so many more uh, pressures they can put on people around him. Uh, you know, they can come after they can come after his family. They can come after his business. They can uh, come after him with other other criminal charges. I have no doubt that wherever they dredged up the document case, uh, they've got other stuff like that, and no doubt that they have other examples of what they will allege is him trying to overturn or interfere with the 2020 election. I, I must just, I probably just didn't explain it well, because Jim's a good guy, and I, I, he was clearly answering a different question than the one I thought I was asking. So let me, let me try to explain what I'm asking again, because it's probably my fault. Um, people are sending me uh, names of politicians that served jail time and then were elected to think. I get all that. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I, I understand that Trump has been indicted, maybe convicted, is running, is in the process of running, and, and that's not the first time that somebody has run for office with the stuff on him that he has on him. Okay, get all that. I, I will I will say, I don't think, unless I'm forgetting somebody, 
we've ever had a major party presidential candidate with the amount of legal baggage Donald Trump has. Am I right about that? I think I am. I think I am. But that's still not what I'm asking. I'm not asking can he run or is he eligible or even is he eligible under the Constitution to be president. As far as I know, he meets all the eligibility. What I'm asking you is, if you believe, and you may not, but if you believe that there is a concerted effort to stop him from becoming president next year, then will that effort stop short of the most dire things? Because you wouldn't throw all this at him only to let him get in there anyway. And then, of course, if he gets in there anyway, it's a vendetta presidency, right? It's going to be, uh, I'm coming for the people that came for me. And he, he said as much, right? He's also tilted at the most dangerous windmill in America, which is not the Democratic Party or the New York Times. It's the intelligence community. It's the, it's the sort of intelligence state, government within a government. Very dangerous. Very out of reach of both parties. It's a fiefdom. It's turf. It has been established and defended at great cost by people that are not going to let this guy come along and shatter it. Right? So I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not saying I know. I'm just curious to know how you look at this. Because if you're voting for him, I think you do have to kind of think it all the way through. Will they let him assume the office you're trying to elect him to? Lou is on 550 KTSA and FM 1071. Hi, Lou. How you doing? I'm good, Lou. How are you? I'm doing fine. To answer your question, I don't believe that they will ever allow him to be sworn in winning the election. I believe that they'll do whatever they need to do. We've gone from a free United States of America to legal, to weaponizing the CIA, FBI, all the intel community to keep him at bay. We're a banana republic of America today. And I say that with hurt in my heart because I serve for this, this nation like all others around here. And everybody else has lost them one in battle that our democracy as an American today is no longer there. Right, right. If I question something, I'm put down. The I, I think, yeah, I think, I think, Lou, what you're saying, though, is that um, we may be a banana republic, but I, I think we could have a president of either party as long as that president does not threaten certain um, established things. Like, you can get in there and make some noise about reform and you're going to change policy, and that's okay. That, that'll all be all right. When you go too far, when you start talking about shaking things to their foundation, that's when, that's when it can't be tolerated. You know what I mean? Well, that, that, that's what we have in Washington today. We have a puppet no. piece that sits there and it takes the, and barks out the words or mumbles the words or messes up the words right. of right. what he's being told right. to do. Right, right, right. Okay, Lou, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Um, 210-599-5555. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's tempting to think this is sort of, well, it's the Democrats and it's the Democrat media and all that. Um, and it might be, and it might be. I'm just throwing out, I'm just positing. What if it isn't them? What if they're not really 
the ones with the most at stake here. Because Trump is, you know, as he likes to remind people, he was a Democrat. <laughs> he's, he's really not ideologically um, the most extreme guy they could ever face. W- what he is is a guy that has no use for and is more furious than ever at the people that came for him. Most presidents don't find out about this till they've been president. Kennedy didn't know about this till he became president. This is a guy who would know before he got back in there. I think they're worried about that. I don't think they're going to let that happen. Or I wonder if they would let that happen. 210-599-5555. Frank is on the radio. Hi, Frank. Hi, Jack. Let's speculate. Let's say I am one of those uh, bureaucrats, permanent deep state people, whatever you call them. You know, I have been in Washington for years getting a paycheck. I have a mortgage. I have a family to take care of. Trump gets back in office. My life is on the line. There's a lot of people like that in Washington. And they know that if he gets in, he's coming to clean house. So, no, they're going to do everything. They're not going to allow it. They're going to stop whatever they have to do. If I was one of those guys in Washington who was living off the state, getting my paycheck every month, I'd be like, that's my life. And see, I don't think they're worried about, like, all Republicans that way. They know that another Republican would make some grief, would make it a little, make them sweat a little, but not necessarily say, I'm going to do away with the CIA or I'm going to reinvent right. the FBI. So it's it's that sort of sweeping it all away that you're talking about. Because otherwise, exactly. these bureaucrats, they've weathered, they've weathered reformers before. They've re- weathered party changes before landslide election they know they can get through that this is a guy yeah, that's different they're, they're, this guy they're worried they're terrified about. <laughs> they are, they're terrified of right. this guy because yeah. they know he, he means business yeah i th- i think i think that's i think that's uh probably pretty close to true frank thank you um and again you know you, this may sound very far-fetched to you i hope it is i hope i'm wrong about this and i'm not i'm not a, i'm not going as far as tucker's going i'm just saying what tucker said is not off the you know, off the page. Um, it's plausible. Um, I'm a little worried about Tucker Carlson, to be honest with you, because um, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying the Twitter series. I'm going to call it Twitter. I, I'm really enjoying what he does and this sort of new, very freewheeling style. I am a little worried because um, it seems like he's getting, um, and I don't know if this is, uh, Don and I were talking about this, I don't know if this is because he's not in a television studio and there's like no corporate thing around him. So he's very free and he's very casual, but he also seems to be getting kind of hysterical. And um, I believe that he believes we're in very serious times, but I hope Tucker holds it together because I think he's an important voice. He's one of the most, if not the most influential voices saying the things he's saying. Um, And I've seen guys just sort of fly off the handle in radio and television to where they get so worked up that they become a parody of themselves. And he's getting very, like, manic and shrill-sounding. I mean, the content is is terrific. I just hope he kind of reins it in or harnesses it. Maybe he has people working with him on that. Who am I to give him advice, right? But that's just something I've noticed. He sounds very different than he did just a few months ago. You can vote for him, but do you really believe his enemies would let Trump back into the presidency? Tucker Carlson doesn't think so, based on what's happening and has been happening these last several months. What do you think? 
Uh, Thomas is on the radio. Thomas, uh, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Happy Friday. Um, Happy Friday. So I would say the if is a big if. If he gets elected, meaning they're doing everything they can to stop that. If he does get elected, I don't think they're going to go to the extreme that Tucker was talking about, only because I do think they're aware of making him a martyr and how that's going to impact the future moving forward. So I think they've tried really hard to walk that line in order to prevent that. And I think Trump knows that too. And as a 70-something-year-old man that has everything you can imagine, the only thing you would want other than that is to live on forever. So I think that's why he's not even uh, worried about it. And that's just my opinion. Yeah. Why would it be a problem to make him a martyr? I mean, if, if God forbid something happens to him, According to his supporters, well, there is there is no one else like him. There is no one else they feel that way about. So wouldn't that be the end of his movement? No, because for the people that are doing this, it's not about the movement. It's about the person. And they don't like the fact that people like Trump. And the more that people mm-hmm. like Trump, the more infuriated that they get. So right. I think that's their biggest fear, is making him an image of, you know, something that people look forward to in generations to come. Mm-hmm. They want this guy mm-hmm. to disappear, to be able mm-hmm. to bury him in history, and to not ever talk about him again. Okay. okay. So he is the problem, not his followers or his movement. That's my opinion, though. Okay. Okay. Thomas, thank you. Appreciate having you. Uh, James is on KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, James. Good afternoon. Yeah, I don't think, I think, because he's reelected, but history tells us the, uh, the, the, the Democrats, everything they blame him for, they do. So I think they will do everything they can to prevent him from taking office after duly elected. And that's basically what they're crying him for right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see them as, I, I, I don't see this group of people and the the foaming at the mouth reaction they have to him, unless that's all an act, but I don't think it is. I don't see it as something where they will just go, all right, you got us, you know, we we concede, you you know, you beat us fair and square. You know, this, is, this isn't going to end like a basketball game where the two teams walk past each other and, and shake hands. And so um, I don't want to be right about this, and I'm not saying I'm sure about this, but I'm taking them at their word. They use language that indicates not just – they would prefer he isn't president or they think they have better policies. This is like unthinkable, unimaginable, the end of America, the end of democracy, the end of, you know, if, if you take them at their word, then you presume they will um, go to great lengths and not the normal lengths, not, only to this point, because that's as far as we go. If you listen to the foaming-at-the-mouth opposition, it isn't just opposition. Uh, It it sounds like um, you would talk about the other side in a civil war, or a revolution, or an insurrection. Yes, okay. So I thought this was kind of funny. Um, I mean, if any of this is funny. Uh, somebody, oh, Peter Schweitzer, the guy that wrote all the books about how in the bag politicians are, he made the point that now that the White House is asserting executive privilege, I don't know if you've heard this or not, the White House has asserted executive privilege over 
a couple of hundred emails at the National Archives that involve Hunter Biden's business and the office of the vice president while Biden was the vice president. Uh, Peter Schweitzer says, if you assert executive privilege that he was communicating with Hunter and Hunter's business partners in an official capacity, that proves that Vice President Joe Biden was in business with Hunter. By, by trying to protect themselves from those emails being released, um, they're, they're essentially making the case. I, I think that's absolutely right, 100% right. Uh, you remember Dr. Marty McCary? We had him on the show many times uh, during COVID, and great guy, gr- prolific uh, author and commentator. Um, he came to mind the other day when I saw this story uh, in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, in fact, he wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal about it as well. He wrote a, an editorial or, I guess, a, a column about it. Biden waves through another COVID booster. Uh, President Biden declared last week that a new COVID booster shot works and is necessary. He said he would ask Congress to fund it, and it would likely be recommended that everyone get it, no matter whether they've gotten it before. He's quoting President Biden. Is this our new drug approval process, McCary asks. There are no human outcomes data on this new shot, which the Food and Drug Administration is expected to approve in the next two weeks. He goes on to say, undermining the normal scientific and regulatory process erodes public trust. I I don't know about you, um, and I come to this as somebody that got the shot, shots, you know, when you had to get them like six months apart. I did all that. I, I think people are just done. We talked about masks earlier this week. I think people are just done. I, I don't expect the politicians to stop trying. I don't expect them to resist the allure of emergency powers and declaring crises and getting on television a lot. It's very heady stuff, you know. You're a boring, dull, pocket protector, bureaucrat, mayor, governor, county judge, whatever, and all of a sudden you're on TV every day and everybody who knows you saw you on television. It's a big deal. And there's power in being able to declare what is and is not essential. I mean, my goodness, it's like it's like some Old Testament king sitting on a gilt throne. You are essential. You are not essential. I mean, this is you got to hand it to these people. They had a taste of power that is completely seductive and addictive. They're not going to just give it back. They're not going to just say, "Okay, well, that was nice. That's over now." So I get that they're going to try. People have just had it. I've I've had it with people wearing masks outside. I've had it with people virtue signaling. If you've still got the little picture frame thing on your Facebook uh, profile picture, I got vaxxed. You know, (laughs) you know what? In fact, if, if, if you are one of those people, leave that up there. Leave the, leave the sign on your front lawn that says, this house believes in science. Leave it up. Because who was it that said, I think it was Bethany Mandel who said she wants the, the lefties to keep virtue signaling so that she knows, you know, which houses she doesn't want her kids to hang out at or hang out with those kids. I mean, we probably should just encourage the, the virtue signaling, the mask wearing, 
by all means, get your little sticker that says, I got the vax. I got the new vax. I bet they'll call it the Biden booster. What do you think? I bet they'll call it the Biden booster. Um, But anyway, um, we should probably encourage people to showcase so that we know who's who. Uh, Just stop trying to panic everybody else. Stay in your house. I, I support your right to stay at home and be freaked out. Uh, but clearly what we're at here is this, there's going to be a season for COVID, like there's a season for other viruses. And, uh, you know, we all now have either had it multiple times and or been vaxxed. Um, and we're going to catch it again. We, so we've all had it more than once probably. We're probably going to get it again. Um, protect high-risk people as you should do in any virus season. And everybody else should carry on. I do think this is interesting, and I don't know how much of this you've heard before, but if you got the vax back in 2021, you were encouraged to participate in a reporting system. Um, I, I got vaccinated in April of 2021, and I signed up for something called V-Safe. They actually signed you up right where they gave you the shot, and I did it. I had no problem with it. I wasn't... I wasn't freaked out by it. It didn't seem Orwellian to me or whatever. I I don't take any prescription drugs. I'm not on anything, thank God, knock on wood right now. So I I thought it would be kind of interesting to report my, you know, my symptoms. And what V-Safe did, and I think there's another one called VAERS, basically if you got the vax and you signed up for this program, you would get prompted on your phone, and I forget really what the frequency was. Might have been every week. Might have been more. I don't know. Less, maybe. But you'd get prompted on your phone. Hey, um, could you answer a few questions? And if I was too busy, I didn't. And if I could do it, I did. And it was like, you know, uh, have you had a temperature in the last week? Have you had a headache? Have you had, you know, stuff like that? And I would answer and send it in. They were studying adverse effects of the vaccine. Oh, they also wanted to know if you'd had a breakthrough infection. Okay. Apparently, and this is why I'm telling you this story. So I did it for a while, and then I stopped getting the prompts. I don't remember when. It was kind of out of sight, out of mind. Once they stopped asking me questions, I forgot all about it. Apparently, um, they shut down the adverse event reporting networks, both of them, sometime earlier this summer. They didn't announce it. They just very quietly did it. Doesn't it seem odd that you would just abruptly... For for a, a vaccine that never had the usual vetting and study, was given emergency authorization under very hairy, questionable assumptions and circumstances... And now you're trying to get people to take more jabs or a new jab. Isn't it kind of a weird time to say, well, we're not, now we don't want to hear any adverse effects? And if you think about it, um, the kind of people, I'm, I'm obviously an old dude, but the kind of people that would be most likely to participate in an app like that, would be young people or younger people. I think they're much more interested in and 
willing to answer questions and keep up with something like that. And as it turns out, it's younger people that have had adverse reactions to the Pfizer and Moderna uh, shots. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert, but it seems like collecting this data is a good idea. It's not scientific because it's a voluntary opt-in program. So it's, you have a self-selected study group. That That is kind of, you know, that's that, that makes it less than ideal. But nonetheless, you're collecting at least some data. You would learn at least some things. You would see at least some patterns. It's interesting that we're being assured these things are safe, we're being told more are coming, and all of a sudden there is this curious lack of curiosity about people that are getting the shot. I just, the timing of that is, as the song said, things that make you go, hmm, right? There's been a lot in the news lately about this um, controversy in the city of Shirts, which is not a place you expect there to be a lot of controversy, but it's about a. Um, Canine officer and his partner, and what's going to happen with them next. We have that officer on the KTSA uh, River City Oral Surgery JR poll uh, uh, listener line right now. Uh, Corporal Jason Hanley of the Shirts Police Department is uh, is with us. And um, I want to make sure I have this right, Corporal, and thank you for coming on with us, by the way. Um, you retired recently from the PD, right? Yeah, I uh, I resigned from the agency back in May. I'm no no longer a corporal. I appreciate the, okay, you know, for the respect. But I, I resigned from the agency. I'm okay, uh, you know, honorably resigned. Uh, mm-hmm. Took employment elsewhere. Uh, and when you um and when you were getting ready to do that, you had been working with uh your canine partner. His name is is it Mador? Uh, it's Mador. Mador, okay. I knew I knew yeah. no matter how I said that, I would say it wrong. Um, uh, so you, you had been working with him since... You, yeah, you, br- you, you brought Mador through training. Uh, you, got, you guys started out together, uh, worked together, um, and you had been, I guess, led to believe that when um, you resigned or retired, because he was getting near the end of his... Uh, service life that he would be available to you to adopt and, and you guys would, would stay together. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, you know, about this time last year, you know, I had inquired about, you know, um, you know, if I were to left the department, you know, you know, could I, you know, you know, purchase my door, take my door with me, you know, because he was getting older and, you mm-hmm. know, um, how old you know, is he? I would he is eight years old now. Okay. And what's the usual service life for a, a police dog? I don't even know. I mean, what's the average or what's considered the range? Uh, it, the range is anywhere from six years old to ten years old. And there okay. are numerous factors that decide why a dog mm-hmm. should be retired. Sometimes it's medical. Sometimes it's age. You know, um, there's, there's many factors in it. But six to ten mm-hmm. is where dogs are usually retired. And is he a German Shepherd? He is a German Shepherd. Yeah. So their their actually their lifespan is not much longer than that. Uh, I know because I had one. Um, what happened when you? So what happened with your plans to adopt Mador? What what did what happened instead? So you know, 
I decided that my tenure at the agency, uh, it just, I needed to move on to other, other ventures, you know, um, and being that I was under the impression that I could have Medora because I was told, you know, uh, by the chief, you know, mm-hmm. um, back around this time last year, I, that barrier for me to leave the agency was no longer there, you know, right. Right. um, when it became apparent that I was leaving the agency to go somewhere else, uh, the chief in March pulled me into his office and told me that, uh, you know, I must have misunderstood or misinterpreted what he said in that uh, Medora was going to be staying at the agency if I left. Uh, at that point, I did offer, you know, I'll go get a loan and buy him out, and he flatly right. rejected that. Right. Uh, from what I've read, I- I'm looking at a KSAT uh, TV story. The the chief's position is that the dog has more service time in him, and they don't want to incur the expense of buying a replacement while they think the dog still could be active. Is that how it was explained to you? Uh, no, they they just felt that you know uh, they just wanted to continue using the door. They didn't really go upon anything about you know the cost and expenditure side, um, but. You know, we purchased the, the agency purchased Medora back in 2016 mm-hmm. for eight thousand five hundred dollars, um, if I recall correctly. That's how much mm-hmm. we spent. You know, the agency did. Um, and you know, even before I left, I turned in my letter of resignation as any good professional employee would. You know, giving that two week notice. Right. Uh, I also turned in a letter requesting to adopt Medora, stating that. Right financial cost of actually recycling him or putting him with another handler. Um, in fact, those costs are about seven to $8,000 to do that right. right now. And for a few thousand dollars more, you can get a brand new dog with many years of service life left. Right. You know, that makes sense. Um, then, did they know, say to you, the did they say dogs. to you, you could have Medor in a year or two, if you would just wait till they were done with Medor? Did they say that at all? No, never. Did they ever give any indication that Medor might be sold to another department? They never flat out told me, but uh, I was given notice by a few individuals that, you know, uh, that there was an attempt to sell Medor to another agency. Okay. And we should say for the record, we we contacted, okay, we contacted uh, Chief Lowry. He was not able to join us today, but he has said in other articles uh, there was no intention of doing that, uh, that if they were going to sell it to anybody, they would sell the dog to you, uh, and they, they're they not going to sell it to another um, agency. In fact, he, he tells KSAT they've actually uh, found a new handler. Um, so what is it you're trying to do now, Jason? What is wh- Where do we go with this story now? Well, the reality is, is uh, you know, Medora has been sitting idle since I left in May of this year. Um him and his new handler was just recently selected. Um, you know, they have not gone to any kind of training course yet, you know, to become a team. And the door's just sitting idle. He was, um, the dog is already, you know, my partner's already over eight years old. How much more are you going to want to squeeze out of, out of, right. of the dog? And, right. you know, yes, he is a working dog. He's not a personal pet. Um, but, I believe he's served his time to the city, you know. Does he not right. deserve to have a little bit of time to just be a dog before, right. you know, he, 
he unfortunately his time here on earth is done. You know, right. he, like you stated already and is known, German Shepherds' lifespans are not very long compared yeah, to... Yeah, they're much dogs. shorter than other dogs, other big dogs. Um, and, uh, and we're, we're talking about Jason Hanley. Um, okay, uh, let me let me bring in, I don't want to forget about her because she's also with us. Oh, no, uh, no. Saren, Saren Lee is uh, on the line with us here too on KTSA. And I know, Saren, you're part of, uh, and I think your mom also is part of this uh, sort of online fundraising effort, right? Thanks for coming on with us, first of all. And um, what what are you, for what are you, I guess for what purpose are you trying to raise the money? Hi, thank you for having me. Um, so really what the fundraising thing, that kind of came into play when Chief Lowry stated in that news interview that it was going to take $25,000 to replace the board, which is interesting. Um, I did an open records request, tried to figure out, you know, where he got that number from, which there were no records to be found. So I'm kind of thinking maybe he just pulled the number out of the air. But when you look at what it costs the city of Shirts to purchase Medor, train him, and also house um, an officer there at the training facility for four weeks, it's significantly less than that, $10,000 less. So, what we're trying to do is raise these funds so that we can, you know, give them to Jason to offer that to the city as a way to get Medor retired, which is where he belongs. Um, like Jason said, he's had a long service history with the city of Shirts. He is, you know, ready to retire. And there's also been an overwhelming support from the community asking Chief Lowry to retire mm -hmm. Medor because they see mm -hmm. that sacrifice that he's made for the, for the community. Mm -hmm. Um. Jason, is it common, forgive me for not knowing the answer to this, is it common for the dog and the officer to uh, retire together like you want to do? Is that something that happens a lot? It, it, it generally happens quite frequently. Um, you, know, um, you know, it would be one thing, you know, if Medor is only like four or five years old, I could understand the position right. of the city right. and the department because, you know, you got years left of that right. service life. but. right. Uh, New Braunfels just, uh, like, gosh, I think like a month ago, retired a dog after seven years of service to the city. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it is common. There's there's canines retiring every day at Medor's age. Yeah. Um, and they do it just because, you know, hey, they're hitting the end of that service life. You know, that the medical bills, the vet bills are going to start to rack up. And, right. you know, let the dog retire. Let the stress, de you know, decrease and bring in a new fresh dog to continue on. So, Saren, um, where can people find the GoFundMe page? Because I'm sure there are people that would like to either find out more or, or just flat out make a contribution. Where is that? Yeah, absolutely. So on Facebook, uh, if you search up Free Medor, M-E-D-O-R, um, you'll okay. see the petition, which has garnered almost 8,000 signatures since it's been up. Okay. And it's not just local. Um, it's made its way to, I believe, New Zealand and Australia. Um, there's also a t-shirt sale that is a fundraiser. I think it's got four days left in that. Um, and you also see the, the GoFundMe there. But I think it's also worth mentioning um, as far as the German Shepherd lifespan, like Jason said, you know, nine to 13 years. And Medor is not a small dog by any means. Um, he has a documented history with, you know, chronic ear infections and he's got pinched nerves in his spine. So it's not like he still has, right. you know, all this youth in him. He's, Right. He's worked a really long time, Shirts, and I think it's just time. I hate to ask this question, but, you know, i, I got to ask because people are going to wonder. 
uh, either one of you can answer this. I- in the event that you raise the money and they just will not uh, allow you to purchase the dog for Jason, what happens to that money then? Absolutely. Uh, so for the GoFundMe, um, that can be refunded um, or it can be donated to a, a canine foundation. And the same with the T-shirt sales. Um, it's okay. going to go somewhere for a good cause. We're hoping that it's going to be enough to bring Medora home. He belongs, but in the event that it isn't, you know, we can give it back right. or we can get it, you know, where it's going to make a difference somewhere. So on Facebook, search Free Medor, M-E-D-O-R, and you will find that the pay, the Facebook page and then on there the link to the GoFundMe. Correct, yeah, and as well as that petition. And it was also where we're updating the progress that Jason's yeah. been making. Um, yeah. I know last week he had a meeting with the city manager. He, you know, formally requested to adopt slash purchase Medor from the city, and I think he's still waiting to hear about that. Well, I got to say, Jason, is I, I had a German Shepherd uh, who passed away a few years ago. They are such unforgettable, special dogs. I I can completely understand how you must feel, and especially with the bond of not only being around them every day, but 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 being partners. So we'll we'll continue to follow this. Uh, appreciate your taking the time to tell the story, Saren. Appreciate all the work you're doing and your family's doing uh, to promote this uh, as well. Please keep us posted, okay? Absolutely. Thank you, thank you for your time. All right, thank you. Uh, so Free Medor on Facebook if you want to find out more. I don't know what's going on with this uh, Labor Day weekend. Remember, we, we always used to call it a three-day weekend, right? Saturday, Sunday, Monday, if you're off Monday. I know some people are not. It, it seems like now it's a four-day weekend. And, and, and like, I noticed today, um, well, a couple of things. Like, I this morning, I did my uh, all my lawns and grass and everything because I want to get it out of the way before the weekend because there's other stuff I want to do and there's college football. In my neighborhood, everybody was out working in their yard like it was like it was Saturday. So I guess now it's a four-day weekend. Isn't it funny how these things kind of creep like three-day weekends become four-day weekends and um holidays, you know, a holiday that used to be just one day. Now it's like, well, it's the, we're really extending it into the weekend. And, you know, I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm just observing, just pointing out. Speaking of complaining, we've had some fun on this show with regards to the alleged sport of pickleball. We've, you know, and it's all in good fun. If you play pickleball, more power to you. But there's a story uh, in the news uh, today about a fight, a battle um, in a um, neighborhood in Arlington, Virginia, and the pickleballers are the are the problem apparently. Um, pickleball has become so popular in this uh, neighborhood that they've put up acoustic fencing around. <laughs> around the courts i'm i'm a little puzzled by why it would be loud but um they 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 had a noise issue they put up acoustic fencing and now the neighbors are complaining that the acoustic fencing is ugly and unattractive uh here's the um story from wusa tv at the walter reed recreation center in arlington pickleball is a lifestyle we have 
people from every country in the world practically playing here. This week, though, the chatter isn't what's going across the courts, but what's going up. Happy to see how they went up. They did them so quickly. The Arlington County Parks and Rec team just installed black sound barriers, also known as acoustic fencing, around the big court of what's considered the busiest pickleball facility in Arlington. Yeah. Because if the last year or so is an indication, complaints about the high-pitched noise waged neighbors and players in the match of their own. It might be a little warm in the summer, but hey, you know what I mean? If that can cut down on the noise and we can, it'll help us coexist better, um, I think that's great. The acoustic fencing is part of a strategic approach to reduce the noise impact in the neighborhood. After the county heard extensive community feedback this year and reduced hours. Mm. The goal is to reduce about 10 decimal levels of noise. Uh, from the from the courts. Now they're going to explain why it's loud. Because you don't see the play. The actual results vary in the location. I think it's terrible. <laughs> um, I think it's very unattractive. But this neighbor finds the new barriers unwelcoming. She doesn't mind the noise and appreciates how the park is more lively because of the sport. So now, rather than having kind of a nice park view, um, there's just going to be a giant black box that breaks up. Oh. argue into the park. But for the county, a compromise and balance require community effort. Yes, it is black tarp uh, and will have um, an impact, uh, but it also is the way to help reduce noise. And we're just trying to come out and have play and have a nice community. The county still has plans to create a permanent pickleball court here using those same sound barriers. Players here can only hope this is the step to creating a better relationship with wow. neighbors. In Arlington tonight, I'm Matthew Torres, WUSA 9. It's the Civil War. It's, it, I mean, this is a real problem. The, and, the, and the tarp did have to be black, didn't it? Yeah, I guess you picked up on that. Maybe would the people have been happier if it was like a pastel color or something? Would that have made them happier? Now, the explanation, I thought it would be in the story, the explanation for why pickleball needs acoustic uh, barriers is because the paddle and the ball are hard plastic. And it's actually louder than tennis. So, how many cor- courts are in the in this general area where they're well, playing Don, you this heard game? The woman at? say uh, they have uh, players from all over the world. I understand that what, people come from all over the world to a neighborhood in Arlington, Virginia, <laughs> to play this. It's the it's the U.S. Open of pickleball. So, is it five courts, ten courts? I mean, if there's quite a few, I can maybe I can I, understand. There that. needs to be a lot because this is the sport that is taking the world by storm. Here's the deal about this sport. I'm putting it in air quotes. This is being this sport is being driven by baby boomers and Gen Xers. And baby boomers and Gen Xers are the only ones in this country with any money. So they are buying paddles, custom paddle uh, bags, gear. Where I work out, they have paddle ball, I mean uh, pickleball courts indoors, indoors. And the people wear visors. I don't know what that's about. Like, is the ceiling going to suddenly rip off, uh, fly away? But it's it, it. There's a lot of gear. There's a lot of spending. These people bring like ten or twelve balls to a pickleball thing. Where's the ball going? Where, why would you need that many? But they bring all this stuff, and they're spending all this money. So yeah, there's there's an interest in it. I mean, it's capitalism. I'm not knocking it. Obviously, there's they wouldn't be building the courts if there wasn't interest and they wouldn't be selling all the gear if there wasn't interest but i do think part of what's happening here is you have a sport being played by an age group that has disposable income and really probably doesn't play very many other sports like i watch the pickleball players where i go work out and they're people my age 
So I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm, I'm by no means a fine physical specimen. No way. We can't hang with the young dudes playing basketball. It's embarrassing. We can't do it. We certainly can't play like handball or racquetball. Those days have come and gone. I, I'm terrified of racquetball. It's like I feel like I'm being assassinated. So pickleball is the speed and the low velocity and the low impact that Gen X and baby boomers love, and it's, it's what's driving uh, the sport. I would not have thought that noise would be an issue. Like, I think if I lived in this neighborhood, I'd rather, I'd rather hear the pickleball than anything else, you know? Like, that's, that wouldn't be that. It's click, 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 you know, it's not that big a deal. But apparently it is to the people in Arlington, Virginia. I'm telling you, mark my words, next Civil War, it's not going to be red versus blue or any of these hot-button political issues. Pickleball is dividing our land. I don't know it's, the. It's tearing our land asunder, Don Cooper. I don't know too much about you know the backstory between as far as pickleball. You know, wh- where did this originated from? I mean, I'm glad it, you asked that question. Do you, Don. do you have an answer for that? It, it, it was invented in in uh, on the West Coast. Uh, we 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 had this on the show a while back, actually, um, but I, I realized that you may have missed it that day. Um, yeah, some guy on the West Coast invented this game, kind of as a lark just to play with his friends and his family and called it pickleball, just, again, kind of to be funny. So it's actually been around for, like, 60 years, but it it suddenly became very popular, I would say, in the last maybe five years. See, if I would have um, saw a or, you know, picked up a pickleball, I would have I thought it was a wiffle ball because that's kind of what it looks like, right? Oh, they get very testy. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So I've already done that. I've don't already make the said, comparison. I, I've already made that observation. I meant it in a good way because I loved wiffle ball when I was a kid. We played the heck out of wiffle ball. Oh my goodness! No, you do not want to. There's two things you don't want. Well, there's probably a lot of things. There's two things you don't want to do with a pickleball fanatic. You don't want to say it's a wiffle ball, and you don't want to say. I, I just mark my words for this, okay? You don't want to say. Is it like tennis? Oh, man, they get, I don't know what it is, but they get very, very defensive about it. So I, I'm taking my chances here even bringing this up, but what the heck, it's Friday. Speaking of taking my chances, i got to tell you this real quick. I wrote a column, I think yesterday, uh, about um, following the science. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek, you know, kind of thing. Um we're always told to follow the science, um, and I used as examples of how I was struggling to follow the science with uh, the redonkulous uh, climate observations being made about the hurricane in Florida, uh, the paper straws, which are supposed to be better, turn out to be full of chemicals that are not good for us. And then I uh, was you know, kind of joking about how, how in the world could a physician in good standing have quote-unquote cleared Mitch McConnell And so my point was, if you want us to follow the science, science needs to be credible. And and that really, I'm not a scientist, and it's not a serious, you know, thought piece. I'm always amazed. And if you ever post anything on on your socials about climate or follow the science, I'm sure you've observed this. I'm always amazed at the wet diaper, weepy, kind of semi-hysterical reaction you get from people whose whole identity is wrapped up in their face mask and their, you know, Fauci candles. And 
more people wrote either to me or about me, this is the worst take on science we've ever seen. I mean, this is just, this is so totally unsound. It's not a science article. It's a layman article. But what's funny is you make my point. When you, when you go crazy because people have questions or doubt the veracity, you prove my point. My point was, it's not a religion. It's a discipline. And it should be tested. It should test itself. Reputable researchers, when they're in the lab, when they're trying to prove a, a, a theory or uh, have a breakthrough on a medical treatment or a drug, they test against their own findings. They try to tear down, to tear apart. They look for the holes in their own work. That's the scientific method. Literally, that is the scientific method. I mean, so if you're unable to handle we the people having questions, that makes my point. That was my point. That somehow we've reached a point where too many people in the sciences only know how to go forward you know, they have like only one gear. They don't know how to roll back and say, well, we need to see if we were right about that or we need to find out why we were wrong about that or we need to climb down from a position we had previously taken because now the data show that that is not right. COVID is a good example. I mean, there's no ability to climb down from like closing the schools and shutting down society and locking people in their homes. The data are overwhelming that that was a disaster. But the people I'm talking about, the people that are writing to me, they get all like um, red in the face and they start calling you names. And Well, I bet you don't have a degree like I do. Yeah, no, I don't. You're right. Absolutely. So since you have all those degrees, Chester, maybe you should start acting like it. You know, that's all I'm saying. Anyway, it's very funny. Of all the things I write about and all the things we talk about on the show, the most hysteria I ever get is when I poke a little fun at the religion of believe the science, follow the science. They are really, really testy. It kind of makes the point. Um, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's administration this week issued a travel advisory to the United States. You know, you always hear about travel advisory in some podunk country or, you know, country that's in the middle of a war or, something like that, hotbed of terrorism. Uh, now it's us, according to the Canadians. Uh, travel advisory warning, 2SLGBTQI plus persons to check relevant state and local laws before traveling to the United States. If you're wondering, I, I wondered too, 2S is two-spirit. In Canada, they include um, native, uh, I guess you You'd say Native Canadian, Native American, I don't know. Uh, people that are that believe in two spirits. So it's two spirit LGBTQI plus. They um, they're warning them about the discrimination they might face if they travel uh, to the United States, because in some states uh, you wouldn't be able to get a sex change operation under the age of eighteen. Um, are they coming here for that? Is that like? <laughs> Why would they, if you're just visiting the United States from Canada, 
Why would that be an issue? And, of course, the, the obvious answer to all of this is, we don't need to overthink this too much. There is no danger. It's just virtue signaling. It's just a way of signaling um, that we're better than you, we're more advanced than you, we're more open-minded or free-spirited or two-spirited or whatever. Um, it, it also seems to me like the politicians that advocate this sort of thing, you know, like a city engaging in that C40 thing that we talked about, there'll be no more meat or private cars, you can only have three items of clothing. This is all what politicians do when they are out of actual answers to actual problems, right? Like when you don't have a, a, a plan to fix the sidewalks or uh, make the streets safer or clean up the graffiti, you start this new thing, this new initiative, um, and you have this, uh, you know, virtue signaling. We're going to warn gay people about going to the U.S. How about warning them about going to Saudi Arabia or Iran, you know? But the other thing I was thinking was, uh, this is, Pierre, this is uh, Justin Trudeau, Pierre's son, right? Who's the Prime Minister of Canada. Can you imagine what would happen if we elect Gavin Newsom President of the United States while Justin Trudeau is the Prime Minister of Canada? Can you imagine what those summits would be like? I mean, there won't be enough mirrors. There, I mean, those two, it, it, it can't happen. We can't have it. It's like uh, crossing the streams. So I think one preening, virtue-signaling, uh, shaggy-haired, uh, ne'er-do-well per continent should be the rule. We've made it to Labor Day weekend, which in a lot of the country, you know, this is the end of summer. Uh, in many parts of the country, this is like, it's it, it's over. You know, the whole thing, can't wear white after Labor Day. and um, They've changed it now. I don't know if you know that or not. The, the, new, the new advice, the experts say, you can't be white after Labor Day. So, yeah, it's different now. But anyway, where we live, of course, we've got at least another couple of months of summer. So we're not really not a big deal here going into this weekend. But uh, very excited about the dish coming up in our 6 o'clock hour. Looking forward to hearing restaurant stories. I hope we get a lot of calls on that. And, uh, of course, you can join the show anytime. At two ten, we were talking about pickleball earlier. There's a story in the news about volleyball. This is pretty incredible. Now, um, this happened in uh, Milford, Massachusetts. Uh, there was a backyard volleyball game that apparently grew into such a big thing, such a big deal, that people were gambling. And there was this whole illegal gambling ring centered upon these backyard volleyball matches. I mean, you'd have to see the picture. It's like a volleyball net tied to a couple of trees. It's, it's just a backyard. And I've played volleyball before, and it's a fun sport to play. It's not that interesting to watch, really. You know, I don't know about you, but, like, I, I can't watch it. I can't imagine betting on it. How bored would you have to be? I mean, do, do you not have any, like, cable or streaming or Internet? I mean, you're betting on volleyball? 
Police say uh, Luis Loa Caguana uh, turned his backyard into two full-size volleyball courts and was collecting and placing bets during matches. When they raided the backyard, uh, they seized 10000 in cash. They estimate that a million or more dollars were changing hands on volleyball. The guy also... The guy also ran a concession stand selling alcohol illegally and without permits. Wow. There is nothing to do in Milford, Massachusetts, apparently. I would rather look at the wall than watch people play ball. But again, it's, if you're playing it, it's, it's interesting. It's fun. It's good exercise. Watching it, betting on it? Is there strategy in volleyball? Like they call a timeout and diagram some plays, you know. Why is Jack making fun of sports tonight? <laughs> What's his problem? He doesn't like pickleball. He doesn't like volleyball. What does the man like? I like college football. That's what I like. All right, we're taking your calls on the dish, 210-599-5555. Let's start with, let's start with Doug. Doug, happy Friday night to you. Happy Friday to you, Doug. So what's going on? Um, I'd like to give some praise to Camillus on Thousand Oaks and Henderson Pass. Oh, okay. Tell me about it. Um, it's a fairly small Mexican restaurant that I've been eating at since probably 2015. And their prices are great. Their food is hole-in-the-wall style Mexican. They have great um, homemade flour and corn tortillas. Um, I had their huevos rancheros for dinner last night. And uh, all of their food is fantastic. Hmm. Um, Have you ever been to any of their other locations, or do you just go to that one um, on Henderson Pass? I've been to the one at Lookout on Lookout Road. Right. Um, I have not been to the one on Blanco yet. A friend of okay. mine has been to the one on Blanco, and he he likes it. But mm-hmm. the the two that I've been to are the one on Lookout and the one on on Henderson Pass. Are they pretty consistent? Like, is the food pretty much the same at all of them, or do you really particularly like the one that you go to? I've found it consistent in both places. At both places, okay. Yeah. So, and and you and you said the huevos rancheros. Would that be the thing to try the first time we go? It is for me. Um, they also have daily specials that are a okay. great deal. Um, you can also get twelve breakfast tacos any time of day for sixteen dollars, and mm-hmm. they give you a they give you a good amount inside each taco. So it's not just a you know a tiny little scoop. It's it's a good nice. amount of quantity inside each taco so but it's nice. very good food looks like it's open breakfast lunch and dinner and it's uh 16075 henderson pass camila's mexican restaurant very good doug good job thank you sir praise for camila's mexican restaurant uh our last call on the dish on camila's was in june of 2020 and that caller was praising the carne asada tacos uh, in that instance, we've had a few other calls going back to 2018 for Camilla's 
Mexican restaurant. All right, 210-599-5555. Praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. And we're also taking bets on volleyball and pickleball. See me at the back door for that. Our producer, Don Cooper, has a little request in this uh, vein, right, Don? I do. Uh, tomorrow, in fact, I'm, I'm going to spend some time with, with uh, family. And we were thinking about, because um, we've never experienced the original Blanco Cafe. And, and uh, I think this is the one on Fredericksburg Road, I believe, 70, the 7900 block up. And I uh, was just wondering if we might be able to get some calls come in and uh, that, that have experienced uh, the Blanco Cafe and uh, let us, you know, let, let me know and everyone else know what you thought. Yeah, yeah. So praise or zing, talk about what's good there. Um, there's so many of them, so many different locations. Uh, but the original one is the one on Fredericksburg, is mm-hmm. that right? Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the original one. It might be. Oh, you might okay. be right about that, but I know it's no, one, I, I it's one of the oldest ones here. Yeah, I don't well, know. That's don't what know it's called. It's original. called the original Blanco Cafe. Is, is, oh, I see. Okay. That's what it's called. And apparently they have, uh, I think they've been voted uh, several times of having the best uh, cheese enchiladas in town, in fact. Well, now... Are all the Blanco cafes affiliated with that one? I believe so. I think there's okay. uh, three of them. I believe there's one on Blanco Road. I'm, uh, right, Blanco yeah. and Oble, I believe. So I know that, that one. That yeah. one might be the original, possibly. Okay. So I'm looking at our uh, records here. I mean, we've had a ton of calls over the years, going back to 2006, uh, about Blanco Cafe, Fredericksburg at Medical, Blanco at Oblate, um, just different locations. Um, so yeah, help a. Uh, Help out Don and his family. Give him a little guidance on that, 210-599-5555. And, of course, we'll take any call about any restaurant anywhere around San Antonio and South Texas on the dish. You can certainly call about places like Corpus and the Valley and Castroville and all that stuff. We'll take those, New Braunfels and so forth. Uh, Love hearing those as well, 210-599-5555 on the dish. Now, we were also talking... um, a little bit yesterday, and Don, you and I were talking about it, about mixtapes. And I posted on Facebook yesterday um, that back in the 80s, making someone a mixtape, you know, taking a cassette and stringing together a bunch of songs that were thematically related or were all love songs or these are your favorite songs, or these are my favorite songs, or these are the songs that make me think of you. That was like a bouquet of flowers. When you gave somebody a mixtape, or someone gave you a mixtape, that was pretty serious. That was a way of saying, you know, I I put some time in. You know, I care about you. And, um, and Don was saying, I don't know if he's with us right now, but Don was saying he also remembered... But sometimes a mixtape was like a message tape. Like if somebody wanted to um, break up, they might make a mixtape. I'd forgotten about that, but that was true. Like you would get mixtapes that were like, um, this isn't working. You would get mixtapes where the theme was, I want us to take this to the next level. I mean, it was very, it was like a very um, circuitous, artistic, uh, semi-encoded way of, you know, saying how you felt. And obviously people are probably not making mixed tapes anymore, but I'm sure people are still making playlists and 
digital audio files and stuff like that. But yeah, mixtape was a big. Somebody had posted a picture of a high end Maxell ninety minute cassette, like the top of the line cassette. I remember, remember having those. I also remember, um, I went. I would buy a lot of cassettes. I'd buy cassettes by the by the carton because I had to uh, send out all these tapes. I was trying to get radio jobs, and that's how you did it. You'd send your resume, and you'd send a cassette with a little sample of your dreadful disc jockey work on the radio. And um, I remember once in a while, if I could get my hands on the really good, like, Maxell uh, tapes, I would save those for, like, the premium radio stations. Like, you know, if I was applying to New York City or Los Angeles, you know, I'd send them the Maxell XL290 Gold. And now that I think about it, what in the hell difference was that going to make? Like, you, you sound like a no-talent 20-year-old kid. You're applying for a job in New York City or, you know, Los Angeles or Chicago. Oh, you think the, you think the Maxell Gold Tape is going to put you over the top? Like, oh, that'll do it. They'll be like, we're going to hire this guy. Look at the, look at the quality of cassette. Cassette that he sent us. We don't even care how he sounds. Look at this Maxell cassette. They probably just erased right over them and used them for something else. But anyway, I sent a ton of those out over the years. Of course, we made mixtapes too. All right, Don's getting some answers on uh, Original Blanco Cafe. So let me get uh, Rob in here right now on the dish. Rob, happy Friday to you. Hello. Hello, Rob. Did you uh, have something to say about Original Blanco Cafe? Yes, I do. The original okay. Blanco Cafe is actually the one on Blanco closer, uh, right after you cross over Hildebrand. Oh, okay. All right. So that's the original location. All that's right. the original. Now, the reason they, they call, uh, they, they can't, they can't all be called Blanco Cafe because they're all, uh, it's something to do with the way the, the founding, uh, the founder of the restaurant, like the only, Certain people can use the Blanco Cafe, so that's why they call it the original on, on uh, medical. They're I still see. a family member, but they just can't call it Blanco Cafe. Gotcha. So they call it the original. Gotcha. But the food uh, Do you like there. the place? Do you recommend anything there? Yes. Uh, if you're going to get a taco, the country taco, and you say country straight, or else they'll put egg in it. Oh, okay. It's like a great, it's like a kind of like a carne asada, but it's mm. sausage. Nice. And it's outstanding. All and of right. course, the the combination plate, it's like one of everything, and the, the portions are huge there. So the one the one that's really the uh, true original is the one you said, um, Blanco near Hildebrand? That's correct. Blanco that's near Hildebrand. That's All right. The, and and it's, it's, it's real old looking inside. It's, it's got a lot of history. Yeah. Um, we like to go down there occasionally, and then also they have like a couple of uh, antique shops around in there. Oh, cool! Yeah, very good. Real, real cool. How how Rob, are the, you know your stuff? How are the enchiladas? Oh, to die for! To die for! Yeah, they're really good. Mm. They're really good. What what uh, type of sauce do they use? The uh, Tex Mex. It's a Tex Mex gravy with like uh, beef in it. Little little tidbits of beef in it this does sound good outstanding the puffy tacos are really good too 
Don, you may have to go more than once from what Rob is telling I, us. I have a feeling I will. Uh, yeah. This is, you're not going to get all this in one visit. It gets yeah. really packed on the one on medical. I, I feel what? like I'm going to gain about 10 pounds this weekend. That's all right. Possibly. That's all right. That's all right. What the heck? Then you can play some pickleball. Yeah. All right. <laughs> be all go. set. All right, Rob, you have a great weekend, sir. Good information. Appreciate your calling us on the dish. Praise for old Blanco, Ca- original, excuse me, original Blanco Cafe and old Don Cooper on the dish. There you go. All right. 210-599-5555. I remember one time a lady called about a restaurant. Um, I forget what it was. And she was saying it's really old inside and old fashioned. And then she goes, so you'll love it. <laughs> what am I, George Burns? Uh, 210-599-5555. I admit it. I am. I'm old-fashioned, and I'm old. Uh, let's see. William is on the dish on KTSA. Happy Friday night, William. And same to you, sir. Okay. Thank you. Olivia's, Olivia's Mexican Restaurant, 801 Vanderbilt. They do not beat the enchiladas to Blanco Cafe, but they come pretty close, sir. Yeah? Pretty close. Yes, sir. It is, Where is uh, uh, where's Vanderbilt? Uh, it's under. Well, well, it's a South Side man, South Side, <laughs> Southeast. <laughs> it's up, <laughs> South Side. Nobody knows South Side no more. <laughs> oh, come on now! I, just, I never heard of that side. street. That's all. I just okay, never heard of that okay. street. It's, it's up on New uh, uh, New Braunfels, South New Braunfels. Oh, okay, all right. That's over there by the McCrillis uh, McCrillis Mall area. Got it. Got it. Eight hundred one Vanderbilt off North New Bron- off, uh, off New Braunfels, I should say. Yes, sir. And are they uh, are they breakfast and lunch only, or what's the deal? Uh, they're open till three o'clock. Okay, so breakfast and lunch, and, and some dinner. But that, they, they serve they serve they serve they'll serve you lunch or dinner at breakfast. Uh huh. Okay. I'm looking at the picture. It looks like a pretty small place, huh? Yeah, they're 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 not great, but uh, as far as like um, on the servings, but let me tell you, sir, they have good style and they have yeah. good taste. Yeah. They really do. Very nice. I mean, every time every time I go there, uh, I'll either get the carne guisada, uh, mm-hmm. the enchiladas. Like I said, they're not the the. It's hard to be blanco cafe enchiladas. They're just hard. And not no. not even Luby's can do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, uh, so so and these guys and these guys, I mean, they come pretty close, but not close enough. Yeah. But the Carnegie style that Olivia's has, it is great. All right. Nice job, William. You have a good weekend, sir. Thanks for letting us know. Now we know about Olivia's, and we know where Vanderbilt is. So there you go, 801 Vanderbilt. Olivia's Mexican restaurant, praised on the dish. There it is. All right. 210-5. I just, I had never heard of, I didn't, I guess I've been to the south side. Never been to, heard of Vanderbilt Street. But I guess now with like um now that we just go everywhere with navigation, right? Like you don't have to tell people. I'm still asking people, well, what street is it off? Uh what's the main uh intersection? Well, I don't know why I'm asking that because when you go to these places, you're just going to put pop it in your phone and right? Follow the directions. Lady's voice going to come on and tell you where to go, right? It's it's the same as not having to memorize telephone numbers any longer. I like to, I just like to know like what nice. am I near? What am I going to be? What am I heading toward? That's just I like to, still like to know that. I don't like to completely give myself over to that disembodied voice, you know. Yes, it, and I said telephone as well instead of. <laughs> I guess I guess they still exist, do they not? They do. They do. <laughs> um, yeah, I 
I think um, I was thinking the other day, it is now very hard to give directions, like verbally, because we've all gotten out of the uh, practice of doing it. And yet at one time, that was the only way you were going to get anywhere. I mean, when I moved here, I went all over the place. And I, it was all somebody either wrote down or gave me direct, you know, turn-by-turn directions. And people could do it in their head. They could, they could send you to a place all the way across town. They could visualize you're going to go here, you're going to go to this light, you're going to turn left, you're going to go down two lights and then take a right, and then you're going to bear left at the... You could see it all. You could game it all in, in your head. You were like visually and uh, verbally uh, bringing the person there. And I, I, I find now that's very hard to do. And the person you're talking to may have no idea what you're talking about. They're like, oh, just, just, just give me the address and I'll put it in my phone. Katie writes to me, Jack KTSA.com. We've been going to the uh, Blanco Cafe, uh, 1720 Blanco Road, since 1982. It's always the same, always great. Never ordered anything but the Mexican dinner. Um, and uh, just right, you find something you like, a great flour tortillas. I guess this is always very good. This will be the last time you'll allow me to ask about a restaurant here in town. I, I'm assuming. Well, no. Because you know, <laughs> no. we, well, we've got uh, this debate it, it as to what the original very, is. Yes, I've I've had a number of of emails. Nobody's angry; they're a little testy, uh, but they're all claiming that no, no, no. This is the one that's the original location. But I think you explained that we're really talking about original in the name of the restaurant. Yes, we're not interested in which branch opened first, right? We don't care. <laughs> Nobody cares. You're gonna go. You're you're hungry. You're gonna go to the one you're nearest or closest to, or you can get into. Yeah, because there's another restaurant called yes. the Blanco Cafe right. that, that, is, that is has not nothing to do with original. this yeah. family uh, business. You know, it's a good name, but it's not so good that we need to fight over it. Can I just say that? You can come up with some other. Call it Olivia's. You know what I'm saying? Just, you know, the, 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 we don't have to fight over the name Blanco. Um, Marilyn is next on the dish on KTSA. Hi, Marilyn. Happy Friday. Hi, happy Friday to you. I just had a couple comments about the Blanco Cafe. I've been going yeah. there since the mid-80s when I'm in my useful days of partying we would go there the next morning for breakfast to uh to uh, to, fix, to cure the hangover and it was amazing but i went back to the fredericksburg run one about probably when they opened up in the medical center area on fredericksburg road and i mm. would get their breakfast and the it what makes the cheese and this is maybe why the enchiladas are so good they have a different kind of cheese it's yellow but it's creamier. It's just, I don't know where they get it. It's just amazing. And that may be why the enchiladas are so well-loved because yeah, it is a yeah. great cheese. So, and so I just can't get back to, past breakfast and the chilaquiles when I go. So. I hear that. So which okay. one is this that, now again? Which location is the one you're talking about? Well, this, I, I, I went to the, I've been to both the, the one on Blanco Road that has been there since the mid-80s. But also, but recently, I just go to the medical center when it's closer, and and okay. even on on Friday mornings, getting an order in and getting to pick it up is just you're lucky because it's just so packed and so crowded. But it's right. but the cheese is the quality of the cheese that I think 
that's what I noticed immediately when I had my yeah. so this is why I like this. So anyway, so that's maybe right. why the enchiladas are so well yeah, so well. Maybe so. Them, so. Okay. Thank you, Marilyn. Thanks for that memory. Have Thanks for that call. Appreciate it. Praise on the dish for original Blanco Cafe. All right, two t- um which I'm now I'm now I'm now I don't even know where we are. So I'm just I'm just rolling with this. I'm just your host, you know. I'm just your we're just moving along here. We're talking about cheese, and I don't know which, what street we're on anymore or what part of town we're in. Apparently, there's hundreds of restaurants with exactly the same name. And uh, just get get yourself something to eat. That's you need advice. a good game of pickleball, Jack. That's the problem. I, that's what I, I think I got hit in the head with a pickleball. I think that's what happened. Um, 210-599-5555. Coming up, we'll have the results on our uh, River City Oral Surgery JR poll. And uh, Victor is next on the dish on KTSA. Victor, happy Friday night. Welcome to the show. Happy Friday to you. So I have gone to two different ones. This is uh, Camila's Mm -hmm. Mexican restaurant. Mm -hmm. I've gone to the one on Lookout in 1604. Very, very good. We've had lunch or breakfast there multiple times. But I recently tried the one on... Henderson Pass in Thousand Oaks, right? And uh, it's it's delicious. It's not a big restaurant. Uh, it's very authentic. In fact, uh, a work partner of mine, we're always looking for the best enchiladas or tacos or whatever, and uh, we both agree that Camilla's has really really good chilaquiles. Cool. cool. Have you ever been to the one that's up on Blanco Road, way uh, outside 1604? I thought there was three, but no, I have not been to that one. I, I guess I'm going to have to hit that I think one there are three. three. I think there's there's Henderson Pass, there's Lookout, and there's um, it's like the 20,000 block of Blanco Road. It's way out uh, past 1604, 1604 and past Wilderness Oak. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little neighborhood in the back of it. Okay, so then I have been to that one. I didn't know that was Camilla's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Camilla's too. Okay, nice. Well, so yeah, you've been I to all three. You know, you know what? Now you can retire. Yep, I'm done. You're done. I'm you've done been to all week. three of them. That's it. You've 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 completed <laughs> your bucket list. <laughs> That's right. Now you have to go to all the Blanco, all the 200 Blanco Cafe locations. All right, Victor, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five on the dish on KTSa. Um, yeah, praise absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, 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 you know what? Um, I, I always ask people when there's more than one location. Uh, well, have you been to the other one? And you probably wonder why I do that. Um, and I kind of wonder why I do that too, because if you like a place and you're going to the one that's closest to you, I don't know why would you go like, well, I'm going to drive across town to their other location. Why would you do that, right? So I don't know why I ask that question, but I'm just curious. Uh, Steve is next on the dish on KTSA. Steve, happy Friday night. Happy Friday. Consistency, Jack. That's what you're trying to say. Because some, you know, even though they have multiple locations, one may have, you know, long-term employees and there's more consistency. Right, right. Always well, I meant, what I meant was that I don't think people necessarily visit all the branches of a restaurant. If they If they like it, they'll just go to the one that's closest to them, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm calling tonight about Chester's Hamburgers at uh, 9980 I-10 West. And, okay. Uh, hadn't been there 
it's probably been 30 years since I've been to Chester's, and the one I went to was over off of Broadway, I believe. But this one was I-10. Um, you know, part of the best thing about a burger is the vessel, and that's the bun. And, you know, mm. they've got that poppy seed bun, and the poppy seeds are on the bottom of the bun as well. Mm. Um, good burger. I mean, for, for seven bucks, a third-pound burger, just old-fashioned burger and, you know, hand-cut fries, they were really good. Mm. I'm totally in agreement with you. Chester's is one of those never fail uh, places. You're always going to get a good good burger. Uh, they don't try to get too fancy. They don't have a million combinations. The fries are great. Uh, a lot of great beers to choose from. Um, so the one on I-10, I'm trying to picture where. I know there is one. I just can't picture what that's near. It's kind of on a hill. It kind of sets over by just south of uh, USAA. Real close to Alamo Cafe. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that that one right there. And very uh, good. You know, very good. And I, we appreciate your show, Jack. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for calling, and I appreciate your saying that. Praise for Chester's. Uh, he went to the one on I-10 West. There's also the one 410 and North New Braunfels uh, Avenue, and uh, there's one down on 281. Uh, I think kind of near, maybe near Thousand Oaks, right? Uh, 210-599-5555. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience in or around San Antonio. Doesn't have to be right in the city. And Chris is next on the dish on KTSA. Happy Friday night, Chris. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Love the show. Well, thank you. What you got for us? Yeah. Um, yeah, they, uh, I guess, uh, Praise for a small little restaurant in New Braunfels called Salomon, S-A-L-O-M-O-N. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even really know how to describe the food. The, the owners and the uh, proprietors are uh, from Mexico, but it's not anything you would think of as Mexican food. They, they, they would say it's traditional Mexican food for the um, area they came from, but it was great good service it's a little small hole in the wall i'd never heard i've been here for four years it's been here for three and i've never heard of it till about six months ago mm-hmm. so, uh, I is this the place is this the place on 35 uh by any it's chance Chris? right off yeah, it's right off 35 at the bucky's exit yeah. because yeah. i'm looking right here and when we had a call on it before they described it yeah. as in shirts could it be shirts rather than new rifles no, no, it's definitely New Braunfels. It's the Bucky's exit in New Braunfels. Okay, so yeah, m- maybe maybe we that. got maybe we got some bad information the last time because we got eighteen seven fifty, IH thirty five frontage. That doesn't sound right. No, I just, no, I just looked it up. It's okay. like three eleven, FM three oh six. Oh, okay. I'm glad yeah. that's a very good thing you called because. We had uh, outdated information about it, apparently. What is the best thing? Yeah, and, 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 and I think you're right in saying that the person described it as like regional Mexican, not Tex-Mex. Is that a good way to say it? Definitely not Tex-Mex, yeah. Um, but the, what uh, would the be a good example of something to try the first time you go? I, I can't. I had an enchilada dish, but it was not. It was a, a, a seafood enchilada dish, but again, I wouldn't describe it. As anything like a Tex-Mex enchilada, but yeah, very okay. good, very good food. Okay, yeah, I see the one you're live. describing, and it is in New Braunfels. It's three eleven FM three oh six. There is yeah. also one listed in shirts 
um, okay. like on Yelp and TripAdvisor. So I don't know. Do you think they moved, or do you think they have two of them? Or I don't think. I, you know, I I would guess if there was one in church that they've moved because it's a small, yeah. you know, mom and pop kind of place, right. kind of hidden. Uh, there's a drive-through daiquiri store right next to it, but um, mm-hmm. it's just in a little tucked in behind. It's on the opposite side of uh, the highway from Bucky's. Yeah. But, uh, okay. It's a really, really good place. Uh, under uh, under noticed, I guess if that's a term. Yeah, yeah. We had a call about yeah. two years about uh, two two years ago about it, and I've been curious about yeah. it. It may, it sounded so good, but now that I know where it is, I'm even happier because I would have been driving around trying to find it in the wrong town. <laughs> yeah. So thank you yeah. for that, Chris. Good job. Yeah. Praise yeah. tonight for Salomon, uh, which is three eleven FM three oh six in New Braunfels. Per Chris, who thankfully did not <laughs> allude to Blanco Cafe. I was going to ask. At any time. I'm, disapp- yeah, no, I'm, I'm disappointed there's not one on Blanco Road. Some sort of comparison there, but uh, we don't, we don't want to go there. Um, and the only reason we don't want to go there is because we've been there a lot already today. More, more in one hour than, than you would normally do. When they lecture us about privilege, they never mention Hunter Biden, who is the epitome of privilege. How how did Hunter Biden earn these millions of dollars? Is it because he's so smart? How how smart is it to try to deduct your hookers on your federal income tax? Hunter Biden is just a vessel. Um, He's just a lucky sperm. Oh, man. There you go. All right. Back in my day, we used to say, you lucky devil. I guess that's what the kids are calling it now. Uh, J.R. Pohl, River City Oral Surgery, is televising or streaming uh, the uh, Fulton County trial for Donald Trump. Good or bad for the country, the judge in charge says it will be live-streamed and televised. 83% say it's bad for the country. 17% think it'll be good. And we'll have a new JR poll when we're back live on Tuesday. Special programming on Monday. Back live here Tuesday at 4. And don't forget, you can get full episode podcasts of this show, entire episodes, um, on demand when you go to KTSA.com. Or if you like to listen maybe at other times or you catch up with us weekends or stuff like that, you can always find the Jack Riccardi Show podcast where you find your other podcasts uh let's see uh one more on the dish and it's alfreda hello alfreda hi how are you mr jack and i know you don't like that but anyway um i was calling <laughs> no about- i like it i like it fine i'm, I'm good i'm hope you're well too Eric, i am um but i was calling about that mambo and I know I'm not saying it correctly, but that seafood place that used to be the uh, Joe's Crab Shack on uh, 14 is 4711 Northwest Loop 14. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they anyway the, we went there today um, as a late birthday celebration. But anyway, it, the I had the fish and and shrimp, and mm-hmm. it's the fish is a sea bass which was really mm. good. Uh, I was very surprised. Um, 
I usually don't go too far outside of the box of my normal dish or whatever I like. But um, but that was actually worth it. The shrimp were good. Um, they ordered the um, shrimp that that you peel and eat. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I'm not that brave, but uh, <laughs> but they liked it, and they said yeah. it was a sauce that was on it, and it was really good. Um, cool. They and then they one of their specialties um, is the mumbo rice. That was really good and hmm. very surprising, in large portion for a regular, and um. Anyway, they ordered some other stuff too, oysters and stuff like that. But I, I wasn't Very part nice. of that. Very so, but nice. yeah, but it, it was um, really a nice, nice uh, time to go. But you know, of course, the four ten traffic right there. Yeah, you have to kind of choose your your uh, what Just is kind of make a poison. make a dash for it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Whose birth Whose birthday was it, Alfreda? It was mine. I was well, happy birthday. Party. Happy birthday, birthday to you! Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, and it, I, I'm it glad was you had a good meal night. because I hate when people call and they say it was my birthday or it was anniversary, and then there was a terrible thing that happened at the restaurant. You had a great meal and a and a great time, and I hope you have a wonderful birthday and a, and a great year ahead. I, I I will I I will I've been enjoying it all month, so this was all right. Perfect. Thank you, Alfredo. You have a good weekend. Appreciate your call. Thank you. Praise for Mambo Seafood, 4711 Loop 410 uh, at Summit Parkway. And uh, that's our first call on Mambo Seafood on the Dish. And uh, we thank you for all the calls and uh, all week and all night. And don't forget to check out our podcast and have a great Labor Day weekend, which I for some people probably already started. Uh, but if yours is just starting now... Uh, I hope it feels like three full, complete days. doesn't go by too fast. And I'll see you live here Tuesday at 4 on KTSA.